0: on this edition of alberta dugout stories the podcast how bad were the 1988 medicine hat blue jays we go beyond their anemic 12 and 58 record with their general manager Episode 110 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. You know things are bad when the veteran of your team says, Hey, boss, this team sucks balls. You also know things are bad when the GM literally camps out on the field until his team snaps a dreadful losing streak. And you know things are bad when that story specifically not only garners local headlines and news coverage, but goes national and even makes it to the Los Angeles Times and almost to the popular Late Night with David Letterman. But that's exactly the situation the Medicine Hat Blue Jays found themselves in back in 1988. There's no sugarcoating it. They struggled. Not just bad, but getting blown out a lot bad. It was kind of fitting that the famous baseball movie Bull Durham came out that summer as well. Our own Ian Wilson dug a little deeper to reminisce about that season and has a great story now up on albertadugoutstories.com. And through the process, he got into contact with a few people, and among them was that rookie GM, Dean Linden. He talks about that campout, that season, and much, much more in this conversation.
1: First of all, how does a a kid who's 19 years old go from working at uh, I believe you were at the Westlander Inn uh, to yeah. a GM of a, a pro baseball team?
2: So that is that, that's one of the things that is, is so amazing about it because it would not it would never happen today it would never happen today and so a uh, little bit, bit of background about the job like I graduated from high school um, in in '86 and um my my a good buddy of mine he was his dad owned the westlander inn and they just fired the uh the guy that was the manager of the hotel and primarily what it was was a a strip bar that's what it was (laughs) and um and uh and but he was sort of messing around with the strippers or whatever and then they hired a professional Um, hotel manager out of Calgary. Her name was Leslie. I I can't uh, Leslie McCabe, I think her name was. And um, so she came down and she kind of started looking into the business and she quickly realized that she wasn't, she didn't get hired to run a hotel at all. She got hired to run strip bars. Of course, being a lady, she was not interested. So (laughs) they hired me to handle that, which was not really my cup of tea either, but it was for an 18 year old kid at the time. It was Kind of a you kind of had bragging rights with your buddies pretty quickly, <laughs> um, and but really what it, what I what I did there was you know uh, promotions. So we had all kinds of you know bar promotions, and um, uh, somebody saw that. I think Russ Farwell. Russ Farwell was um, said, "Hey, you know what? Would you w- you should you should talk to Russ Williams, who was the uh, president of Consolidated Sports Holdings at the time." Um, and, uh, and, you know, do this, do what you're doing at the Westlander, um, for, for the Blue Jays. So I, you know, I got my a resume together and I, and I dutifully marched down there. And unbeknownst to me, I thought I was going in for the, the, uh, you know, sort of the, the ballpark operations and promotions department. I met with Russ Williams for probably an hour. He said, when can you start? And, uh, and um, by the end of the day, uh, they were holding a press conference naming me general manager of the team. So um, you know it, it, I mean, it's interesting how the they, they, they got caught a little bit short the the, the general manager that they had um, quit and went back to work for the city. and it just left them a little bit shorthanded and they and, you know, and for whatever reason, I was the I was the next best option.
1: Well, at, at what point are you, pinching yourself at that point of the day i mean that it even even just hearing you tell me that i'm like i i don't believe you
2: (laughs) yeah you know what isn't that the truth like you know i i i remember you you asked and one of your questions was you know the conversations around around um, you know at our dinner table what was what was between trev and myself and it was like you know they were all mind you it wasn't that unbelievable in the respect that at the Westlander Inn, I'd gotten to do a lot of things. Like, I very quickly got myself sort of into the, you know, I never waited at the table. I was always kind of in management, so it didn't really seem like that big of a leap. Um, it, oddly, it didn't. But, Ian, you know, make no mistake, it was incredible how little, um, how they just kind of threw me the keys to this to this professional baseball team. And, you know, so that was in, that was in March, so it was a real, sh- so they had, the reason why they were panicking is they didn't have any, you know, out, like, they didn't have any uh, advertising sold, they didn't have the program sold, and they needed somebody who could hustle around town and and sell out the program and get the sponsorships and arrange all that sort of stuff, and it was such a short window that they just, you know, they had to get that position filled, and I, I happened to show up. Um and uh yeah so it was it was that you know it was it was just a it was just a blur and i didn't really pinch myself cuz they said great here go out and start selling the you know the outfield ads and the and the and the program like that day you know you, you got to get going on it right now it wasn't uh, there was no honeymoon
1: right you were too busy to actually think things through uh, yeah yeah i i say this respectfully but uh, you you are a member of the linden family and by that point uh, Trevor and I believe uh, Jay- is it Jamie Linden also played with the yep, Tigers yeah, yeah. and they, they were in the yep. midst of you know 87 was that first memorial Cup the first of two so there would have been yep. your your last name would have had some profile in that town did did that help at all do you think
2: um, yeah I think so I, I mean I, I don't that, that's a good question I, and I don't I, I we didn't feel. I mean, because Trevor was just—that was—was he drafted? No, he got drafted in '88. Um, you no, know, so yeah, maybe I, I don't know. I, I'm not. Sure. That, that's a good question. That's not one I could really answer. I didn't feel like it helped me. Like I didn't feel like it helped me in the community at all. And I don't know, um, but it could have. It certainly. It certainly. Well, you know what? It did because Russ Farwell recommended me for the job. So that it. I mean, so from that perspective, no question about it
1: yeah so you step into the role uh you meet the the coaching staff and some of the players when that you know season starts getting getting closer what what's the reception like from the the baseball guys the guys on the field to you in that role is uh, are people wondering if yeah. you're a little too green for this or
2: so the players the players had no idea because remember their're their um they're coming out of high school and college. So they, they don't really, you know, so they don't really know what to expect. They're, they're, they got on a plane. They left Florida and they said they're going to Canada. Most of these guys had never been to Canada before. None of them had. So from the player's perspective, they were very much, um, uh, um, they were great. That was, that was a great relationship. It was very much funny enough. It was very much a, um, You know, they called me the boss and they were, they were great. Like they were very, very respectful. I mean, they complained about everything. Um, (laughs) because, you know, they're, they were from places like California. Well, the, the the kids from the Dominican didn't complain about anything. They were just on a different planet altogether. But the, the kids from California, it was only years later when I actually went to California myself, I realized why they had a right to complain. It's pretty nice down there. (laughs) Um, um, so from the player's perspective, that was a great, that was a, a wonderful, relationship that we had um from the from the you know Rocket Wheeler and Bob Nandon those two guys were always good to me but they made no bones about it like they're like wow son you're you're you bit yourself off of big piece here um but uh but they were good to me you know Rocket was a, he was a hard ass and and uh but he wasn't my boss and he knew it and and um so we worked well together but i think he was kind of you know he'd been by that time he'd been around and seen some stuff and uh, you know he was kind of wondering what was what was going on here but i wasn't you know the the problem i wasn't his problem the problem was toronto had set, sent him a like a, a historically young team right that that was he was more concerned with that than than you know than you know what i might have been doing or not doing
1: yeah, it's not. I mean, you had the the title general manager, but it's not like, you know, a, a general manager in the NHL or or in Major yeah, League yeah. Baseball where you're making these free agent signings and doing trades. You're really just dealing a hand that that is dealt to you on the field, at least.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you're a you're a uh, you're running a business for the most part, and it, and it doesn't include. Winning or losing like i that was not my it, it was nice because and it really sort of set um, set me you know reset a path for my life, but I was really sort of the spokesperson for that team that year that's really what what I was more than anything through the face
1: did you have any kind of inkling or clue or warning signs that the team was going to be quite that bad that that season
2: so, so you know it's funny the the, the guy that i And it's funny, he, uh, the guy that I got to be closest to on that team was Ray Gianelli. And um, I'll never forget, I, um, it was, we had the draft, Trev got drafted in, um, Trev got drafted in like, what, June something, and the the team arrived the next day. So i have just gotten back from the, from the draft. And I rented a van and I drove it out to the airport and I picked up the, um, uh, you know, there was a, they're coming in on three different flights or something. And Ray jumped in the passenger seat of the van. And he said, the first words he said to me is, in his Long Island accent, he goes, hey boss, this team <laughs> sucks balls. This team <laughs> sucks balls. And and uh, I'm like, what? He's like, you know we've been in spring training for whatever it was a month or something like that i mean you know they sent us they sent you a bunch of I, he was he was a little older and he wasn't happy about where he was where where he was being sent because he was our best player but he was not in the plans he was there just to make us respectable and but he wasn't there to be developed at the time it's ironic he ended up playing in the big leagues because he was he was just there to um you know, to kind of make us competitive, and he—it wasn't enough.
1: Yeah, and he was the only one of the bunch on that roster, I believe, to to make it to the major leagues. So uh, it seems like yeah. he he kind of knew the lay of the a land. Great,
2: yeah, a, a great a great story about that. Uh, like, if, if you do, you mind if I just sort of share an anecdote with you? About Absolutely, that? I, I don't
1: want to. Yeah, go for it. So,
2: so every night, you know, it was Ray. Ray was. Um, not in the plans. He was he was there to he would come in and pinch hit. You know, um, uh, they had some guys that had been drafted a little bit higher that kind of were in the plans, high school kids and stuff like that. But they were they were overmatched. I mean, we were playing against. I mean, you know, it, you know, for instance, um, the uh, the Dodgers in Great Falls. They had. I mean, Jose Offerman and Eric Caros was on was on that te- on their team. You know, we had we, we didn't have any any major league players as it turned out, except for Ray. So he was not in the plans. He was just sort of a somebody to kind of, you know, maybe be a mentor to some of the younger guys. And every night after the game, I'd, I'd have my, I'd host my beer gardens with the media and the sponsors while those guys were getting changed. And Ray would catch a ride with me back to the, back to the, uh, the motel up on the highway. But I'd have to stop with, I'd, I'd get Rockets game report and I would I would have to strictly confidential, and I had to take it to draw, stop off at the office, fax it to Toronto, Bobby Maddox in Toronto, and then I would drop Ray off. And you know, the first half of the year, I mean, I was I was a rule follower. I was, I, but as time went on, you know, Ray would be like, Hey, am I in that report? Are they talking about me at all? And I was like, Ray, you know what? I, I can't I can't discuss it with you. I cannot. And but as time wore on that season, he was. He got really discouraged just because he was not, you know, he, he realized, he you know, he was pretty streetwise. And I'm not, you know, I never showed him the report, but I, there was a there was a time in which I just said, Ray, they're talking about you. You know, they're talking about you. And he said, um, you know, like you're, you're getting talked about a lot because he was, you know, the second half of the year, he just totally raked. It would have been hard not to talk about him. But, um, you know, even sometimes in games that he did play well, there was no mention of him, right, because that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear about how their stud high school lefty was pit-throwing, or, you know, they kind of had their eyes on certain guys. And by the end of the season, he was spilling up that report like crazy. But he didn't know it, and he was discouraged, and he was thinking about, he was thinking about hanging it up. And, um, and, 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 and so when he got called up to the Blue Jays, when he got called up to the major league, he actually—I hadn't heard from him for a long time. He actually called me from the Sky Dome Hotel and said, "and and said thanks." And it was like a real—you um, know—you like you don't know what—you don't know what goes through a guy's head. I didn't know it was that important to him that he was being talked about in those game reports. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly in violation. It was unprofessional of me to do that but I could see how discouraged he was getting, you know? So, um, so that was, that was, that was maybe my biggest, um, uh, uh, you know, the the highlight of that for me was the fact that he ended up making making it to the big leagues. And we've been, we've, we we stayed in touch for a long time after that. It's been a long time since I've talked to him now, but it's, we stayed in touch for a long time after that. I actually went out to New York to visit him in like 91, I
1: think. That's great. Uh, so let's let's rewind a little bit to the the beginning of the season uh season starts i'm not sure if you're on the road or at home but the losses start to to add up you know four losses in a row five six seven uh I, i from what i read and correct me if i'm wrong it was around the eighth loss that you came up with a unique idea to uh I don't know to promote the team and to get your get the team out of a funk. Tell us about that. Where did that idea come from, and what was it? And what was the origins okay, of the so, camping out?
2: Okay, so there's, that's that's a multi leveled answer, Ian. <laughs> um, uh, the first one, the the where the idea came about was I can't remember. I mean, it's hard to remember a time before the internet, but I think I got like a I think I got a morning fax or something just about what's been what what what's been going on in the world of minor league baseball. Like it was they, the communication was fairly steady, but I, I remember I got a, I would get a fax and it would be set on my desk every morning, but what's going on? And there was a guy in the New York Penn league whose team lost its first series or something. They, they were three and O or something like that. And they were, they were, um, and he, he said he was going to sleep in the press box until they won. And of course they won the next night. um, so I was thinking to myself, "Well, geez, that's you know, like uh, that's that seems. I mean, we're we're eight losses into this. I'll take your word for it. I I I think it was eight losses. We're eight losses into it. Why don't I? Why don't I do something like that? So I phoned around, and it was really fun. From the perspective of everybody got behind it really quick. I you know, Canada Tire or Canadian Tire um, donated all my camping equipment and all that type of stuff. So I was set up like really quick, and I just. And now, the guys were on the road when I started the camp out, and um so it was kind of lonely down there, and there wasn't a lot of fanfare and stuff and and i I kind of did it without talking to anybody i just i just i just did it and um and I'll never forget the morning i mean the guys came in uh, I think they got in the the sun had just come up they they were on a road trip and they they pulled into the parking lot and I woke up to you know, 20 guys standing around my tent out by the pitcher's mound, and I crawled out of the tent, and they're like, and they're saying, they said, we heard about, they were in Salt Lake or something like that, and they said, we heard about this. And I was really worried that they would feel like I was drawing attention to their sorrow a little bit. Right. Or their their pain or their, you know, their futility. Um, But everybody just thought it was the coolest thing. Like, it was, I was worried about that. I remember worried about how they would, how they would take this little stunt and they were they were they were fantastic. They just they they loved it. You see, the interesting thing about that whole the backdrop of '88 is that was that, that summer was unique in the respect that that Bull Durham came out that year. That
1: that's summer, right. yeah.
2: At least that's when it came to me. So there was this there was this whole heightened romantic uh, you know romanticism about minor league baseball, and so it seemed like there was a there was a there was everybody was more interested in minor league baseball than they otherwise would be. So as that, as that camp out carried on, um, you know, it just, it, you know, the, there was, you know, every morning I would wake up, I'd go to the office and I got, you know, I would, I would take a call from the CBC, I would take a call from, you know, various, you know, calling to like three or four different, you know, radio stations around the country, you know, on the morning drives and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and you know it really it really gave us a lot of um it gave me something to do like it really gave me something where i it was the one thing that i could do that i didn't feel like i was a bit in over my head i'm kind of a natural promoter and that was the one thing like that was that i just gravitated to that because that i was good at it um uh as dumb as that may sound
1: at what point did you know it was really taking off like you you Mentioned calls from CBC and and you know you made the LA Times at one point as well. Were you like, yeah. at what point were like were you surprised that you were getting that much attention and and were you also feeling like, hey, I I'm regardless of what's happening on the field, I'm I'm winning in, in at this job.
2: Yeah, you know the the interesting thing is 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 it never really. I mean, I guess winning at the job. Yeah, I, I raised the profile of the team. It didn't. it it didn't you know more people didn't come out to watch us play i didn't i didn't think maybe they did but um uh you know the 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 one that really kind of stands out and funny enough every morning i would come and it was just it was so exciting because i would go i would go home and shower and then i would i would go to the i would go to the office and and uh and there was there was I remember these pink notes before you had voicemail and all that sort of stuff that, and it would be said on my desk and a producer for the David Letterman show they wanted to do they wanted to do a feature on on the um, uh, on the on the whole campo out thing and probably just make fun of me you know how David Letterman did and that was and that was happening they were arranging it and then the next night um, the next night we played a doubleheader and we won. We won the second game of the doubleheader. I remember Jose Garachi hit a home run in the bottom of the seventh for us to win, and then that then it then it ended. You know that was that that portion of the that first seventeen games or whatever of the season that was over. We won. I packed up my tent, and so I don't think I really realized that anything was really great until it was over. That's when it really occurred to me, like, oh, you know what. I'm not going to be featured on the David Letterman show like this is, you know, now it's just back to work kind of thing. Whereas I I I I think up until that time it was kind of fun and games.
1: You had some some challenges to deal with with like just from a physical and logistical point of view uh with camping down there too. There was uh, I believe you had to move the the tent around from sprinklers. You had some magpies that wouldn't uh, leave you alone and and even I think tornado warnings. So walk us through some of the uh, less pleasant aspects of of actually pulling off that stunt
2: so you know i lived in medicine hat my entire life um uh and i don't i never really paid attention to tornado warnings it wasn't something that even occurred to me but the, i think it was like the first couple of days there was a there was and I don't know if it was actual tornadoes, but the wind was blowing. probably if it was actually a tornado it would have picked up me and my tent and threw me in the river but um but I remember the wind blowing so hard that it was it was catching my tent and it was hitting it so hard that my feet were elevated like it would actually it was picking up my feet in the in the in the tent um so the but what was what what was fun about that is um the uh chat c h a t uh would, would set up a camera and they would, for a week, they did, the, they did remote um, weather from, from my tent site. Like they, would, like they would have me sit in the lawn chair and I would be like, you know, doing something like throwing a ball up in the air or something. And they would, they would you know, talk about the weather with me as sort of the backdrop because I was, I was you know, so concerned about the weather because I was camping. So the town really got behind it in a kind of a fun way. Um, You know, a lot of it didn't have to do with me. A lot of it had to do with the sort of the spirit that was there at the time in Medicine Hat. Um, Yeah, magpie sprinklers were a big thing. Like, I had to to move my tent around in the middle of the night sometimes. Like, I'd have to get out and, like, you know, like, I, I wanted to, at the end of every game, I would, as soon as the game was over, I would, as people were leaving, I'd make sure that I was bringing my tent and I would set it out by the pitcher's mound just to kind of, so people go, oh, there he is. He's going to camp there, and then, uh, and then, um, and then. But you know, by the end of the night, sometimes I was like, I was sleeping in the dugout. It wasn't always in the tent. It was like wherever I could find a dry
1: place. You mentioned uh, Bull Durham uh, being in the theaters at that time. I mean, as I mentioned, the the Tigers were coming. You know, they were they were in the middle of back to back Memorial Cups. Uh, it was the year the. The Olympics came to Calgary, so there's a lot of kind of positivity around. What I'm curious to know what the family and friend discussions were like with you around this this time. I mean, in one sense, you're kind of living this this dream life, but you weren't obviously you weren't the only one in the family with with stuff going on either. So, what what kind of ribbing or, or conversations were, were happening with with you and the family?
2: So you know that's that's a good question, Ian, because we. Um, you know, I was I was the oldest of three boys, and I'd I'd really enjoyed, you know, um, being uh, the bigger, stronger, faster. You know, through most of our childhood, and it, and it was really, you know, sinking in that summer that I wasn't I wasn't the cock of the walk anymore. It, even in even at even in that house, you know, Trev had surpassed me in you know in notoriety. He he you know I, I played played high school basketball and I was, he was always my little brother. Right. And, and then all of a sudden, just in the, you know, in the, in the span of two years, he'd gone from relatively unknown to, you know, uh, Memorial cup champion and, and, and all of those, you know, in first round draft pick and all those types of things. So, you know, we had a, um, I don't know if he would agree that it was a competition, but I was feeling, I was feeling like I was getting caught right I, I was getting caught and passed so for me you know having a uh having a bit of a profile not, not anything close to what he had um it was nice i needed it you know i needed it for my for my frail um 19 year old ego and um and so it was it was good from that perspective um but it, there was never any really ribbing i think i i think you know you touched on it earlier i think everybody at the house was just like, wow, like, how did you, how did you, how did you get this gig? How did you figure this out? And, um, um, but not, not so much, um, any ribbing. Cause I think everybody understood that, Hey, I, I was the, I was, I was running a business there more than I was, I was running a, uh, you know, anything that had, uh, wins and losses attached to it.
1: The Blue Jays finished with a 12 and 58 record at the end of the year. And it's, I mean, it's, There's no way of sugarcoating it. It was one of the worst seasons in in professional baseball history. Uh, What do you think, you, you touched on the age of the group, what do you think made it such a bad team?
2: So it was just, it was really just the philosophy that Toronto had about developing players and the way different teams use the Pioneer League to develop players. So, um, you know, they had I think, you know, in the organization, I think Toronto had an extra team in St. Catharines. And so for instance that year, Ed Sprague was the was the was the first you know, the Jays first pick. He was a great player. I mean, if we would have had him, it would have been a very different thing. So, you know, the I, I use Great Falls just because Hofferman and uh Offerman and Karos were on that on that team. Um they were Toronto's philosophy was that hey they're gonna they're gonna get they, they like drafting their high school players more than 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 other and they used the Pioneer League in a in a different way and I think what happened was they just they just over I I think they knew what they had down there um, um, and they had they had some prospects that they liked but but it was the losing even got to them because they're like man. We're teaching these kids how to lose, and that's and that's not a way to develop players. So, halfway through the year, this is an interesting story. Halfway through the year, and it's probably around the span that, that we got, we went on a. I think we went on a bit of a winning streak. Um, I think we won all those games kind of in a clump, if I recall. But we had they, they sent us they sent us. Um, I I know the one kid's name was Placerus can't think of what the other guy, two kids from Venezuela. Okay. And they were, these guys, two pitchers, and they were lights out. They, they they came in and it was like, wow, like, this is amazing. They were, like, we couldn't, if those guys were on the hill, one of those two guys, we were winning. They were unhittable. And, um, and uh, so then, you know, so I'm all giddy and we're starting to win and it's, we're getting some positive sort of um uh, press finally, and I get a call from uh, Border and Immigration Services, and it was in the old post office behind my office. So they 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 come in there and they go, "Look, we have got a problem with some of your players. like, <laughs> Problem with some of our players." Like I wasn't I wasn't equipped to deal with problems with the players. I was, uh, you know, they said, "Yeah, they, they, we've got fraudulent documents, um, yeah, immigration documents." These two guys that Toronto had brought in. Plisera, I wish I could remember the other guy's name. They were actually, like, 30 years old. They had forged their documents in <laughs> Venezuela because they were good players, but they knew they would never get a shot at professional baseball at 30 years old. You know, they kind of looked young, and they'd forged these documents, and they got caught at the border with, with these with these fake passports, which you know back then it was kind of funny today it's a major you know it's a major it's a major problem with terrorism and all that sort of stuff but it was kind of like so the, those guys you know we, we ended up losing those guys you know right away but that but it it was eye-opening to me as a kid growing up in medicine Hat with all of the privilege that went with that um to think that these guys you know would fake documents in venezuela so they could get to play baseball in canada and uh and um yeah they were you know they they were they were passing themselves off as like twenty one year old guys when they were thirty, hmm. and they had kids.
1: What happened at the end of the season? The season wraps up uh I don't believe you were back for another year, but what to tell us what happened to you since then
2: uh do you want to know, ask? Uh, after the season ended immediately after the season, or what's happened in my life since since uh, since eighty eight?
1: Well, well, both. But let's. Why don't we start with uh, just at the end of the season?
2: Yeah. So you know, it was cool. We played it. I remember we played a doubleheader, and we've stayed up at what it's the Ramada Inn now in Medicine Hat, but it used to be the Cloverleaf Motel. And um, we played a doubleheader, and we all went back to the. We all went back to the. Um, uh, there there's a there's a coach, a big motor coach um, and we all met back at the at the at the hotel and um, uh, we had a, like a little pizza party we all sort of had a little pizza party and and, and uh, I had to actually go on the bus. Um, it was my responsibility to ensure that none of the the kids from South America defected so it was my job to... That they got on that plane in Great Falls, and so I took the bus down there with the guys, made sure everybody got on the plane, you know, checked their tickets and and got you know whatever signatures I, I required, and they got got on their way, and I, you know, it I'll, I'll, I vividly remember um, the the sun coming up on the way back from. Great Falls. I was the only one on this on this on this motor coach, and, I'm, and I knew I wasn't coming back the next year. I was actually going to go to work for the Tigers that 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 fall, and um, I just remember sort of a unbelievable sense of adventure that it was. Like I knew then that it was kind of a, a thing that um, was probably transforming my life. It, it transformed my life. It made it helped me understand that. And it, it, and it kind of set a pattern for my life. I think that everything that I've done since, I've, I've been able to, um, get in a little over my head, like not, not, not being over my head. I can handle it, but I'm not fearful of going all in to something that, you know, that I may or may not know about. So, you know, you're that, not worried that about really, going too really. big. Yeah. Yeah. Moments and things are, nothing is, is really, big for me i think i think that i've been and it, it you know it, it's it, i think i think that experience shaped me probably more than anything else that i can i can i can think of being that age and you know just surviving it you know just surviving it let me know that yeah i could because you know 19 year old 20 year old kids aren't meant to work 75 day or 80 days straight in the summertime they're meant to you know go you know chase girls and do all that type of stuff and and um and I, I did it. I don't. I don't know that I was very good at it. I was in over my head, but that, that um, I, I was able to fake it until I made it. I guess.
1: <laughs> so where has life taken you uh, since then?
2: So after after the after the Jays, I, um, I I I kind of floundered a little bit in Medicine Hat. I because you know it's interesting when you have that job and then the job with the tigers but knowing then that I didn't really want to stay in the sports business just because I, I felt like um I fe- I didn't feel like there was a lot of money in it I felt like I was more ambitious than that I had bigger ambitions and um so I floundered for a couple years in medicine hat and then I moved to Vancouver in uh, like 91 and um and uh, again you know took a job driving a forklift in in a um in a, in a warehouse and really not glamorous at all um, and then I I, I I went back to school and I landed a job at a, at a biotech company called ID biomedical and I was doing the uh, I was doing investor relations long long story short the company downsized and I ended up being like the third you know the third employee the employee number three at, at ID biomedical and there, and there was like three of us, well, five of us left in the company after it downsized and long story short, um, in 2005, we sold that company, um, to Glaxo Smith client as a vaccine company for $1.7 billion. Um, and it really afforded me this opportunity to become a, you know, sort of a financier. Um, uh, I've founded. um, uh, or been part of the founding shareholder group of four or five companies. Um, the latest being a company called Cypress Hills partners. I live in, I live in Seattle, Washington, but the name of my company is Cypress Hills partners. And we're the, we have one of the largest, uh, subprime consumer debt portfolios in Canada. And, um, so, um, yeah, I've had a, I've had an amazing, um, adventure from on the business side as well. But I, I really believe that, um, it was all kind of set up by the summer of 88. I, I mean, that that always um, strikes me as something that, you know, it, it shouldn't have happened, and it, it wouldn't happen today, but it happened to me.
1: What does the sport of baseball mean to you? I mean, you, obviously you went on to other things, and, and there were other sports in your life, but what, uh, what does the game mean to you at this point?
2: So I live... Um, I live in Seattle. I can get to I can get to uh, I guess they call it what is it uh, T-Mobile Park. I can get there in 15 minutes from my house. Um, I I go with my son a couple times every year. Um, We go on a rainy night when when there's not going to be a lot of people in the stadium and we and we sit, you know, and we get the cheapest ticket and we sit. In every corner of that place, we sit up high, we sit down low, we sit on the right, you know, in right field, left field, center field. We just move around. Um, I, I grew up playing baseball. I I, um, I, 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 love, I love baseball. I love everything about it. Um, uh, it's a uh, to, to me, it's it, it doesn't it, it it's not as much of a sport as it is a mood, and um, and you know, summer is. You know the 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 soundtrack of my summer is is mariner baseball on uh on the radio and just it's just playing all the all the time and um yeah it's um you know i i do I, it has a special place in my heart i'm not sure i'm not sure i could i could i could uh vocalize really what what it means to me but it, it's 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 on a lot you know like i i'm I'm interested in it. We played, we played nonstop as kids, and and it still it still plays in the background every summer. Hopefully this summer.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, last question for you, Dean, and, and thanks again for for making so much time for me today. Um, when was the last time you were back in Medicine Hat, and have you been down to Athletic Park uh, any time in the last few years to to see any games there?
2: So I come in on business. um, Probably two or three times a year it's it, it's been more in the last year or so than it has been in the, in the previous i've been more I've been to medicine more in the past year. Uh, my parents are there still, and I like to get back to see them and uh, but I, you know what I always go by there I always go by there and and uh, you know it, it, it's colored differently now and it's it's um, you know it it kind of makes me sad I have to say it makes me sad because that period of time. Was really, I mean, when you think about baseball in Alberta, I mean, in 88, the Cannons, the Trappers, the, um, the team in Lethbridge, there was, um, professional baseball was, was wildly, I mean, you know, when you, when you think of Alberta and the population that it had at the time and the amount of professional baseball it had in the province, it was really, really amazing. And the idea that that's not there anymore. And I get it. Things change, and you know, currencies change, and all that sort of stuff. But you know, baseball in Canada, uh, at least from a professional standpoint, I mean, you know, even Vancouver doesn't have a have a Triple A team anymore. Um, and uh, so um, it it kind of makes me a little bit sad. I, I'm, I mean, I know that there's still great times that are being had at, at Athletic Park, but you know, what Bill Ewell... Brought to Medicine Hat, and and uh, and what he fostered there was, you know, that was a that was a gem at one point in time. That was a real that was a real um, that was a big deal. You know, I kind of got the tail end of it, but um, you know what they'd done there before me was really something special.
1: Dean, thanks again for just making time and letting us go down uh, memory lane with you today. And just uh, great to hear some of those stories and uh, interesting time for sure. So so thanks again and, and all the best in your recovery as well <laughs> with your kidney stones. Oh, hey, thanks
2: so much. Yeah, kidney stones are no joke.
0: Thanks to Dean Linden for joining us on the podcast, and thanks to Ian for guiding the conversation. Again, you can read Ian's great story at Alberta Dugoutstories.com. A big thanks to all of you as well for downloading and listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review if you can on your podcast provider of choice. Until next time, thanks for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.